be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. And on the podcast with me this evening, uh, sitting in... Well, I always like to say something about the weather. I'm sitting in rainy Wales, uh, and uh, Garrett is sitting in uh, probably rainy Leicestershire. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, yes, that's but, right. But he is from just over the river from here. I think you're from uh, uh, what some my good Australian friend Gunny calls Lanelli. Very near Lanelli, from a town called Almondford, uh, which oh, is Almondford, yes. yes, not too far from Lanelli. Yes, I know it well. It's a, it's a lovely, lovely place actually. And um, did you used to play for Ammonford or? Uh... Yeah, well, I started off with Betos Juniors, which is the little village I'm from, uh, and then moved to Ammonford, then and played a, played all the age group through Ammonford Rugby Club there. Right, and um, I'm not that uh, I know this is um, um, on a podcast that we can't see, so I'm going to try and guess that you're um, a fly half. I definitely uh, worn number ten on uh, on a few occasions, but uh, actually played at seven for most of my junior life uh, right. with a little from half mixed in, uh, and then at seventeen, then when I uh, went to uh, when to play rugby internationally, um, they moved me to scrum half, and they decided that my height didn't quite match up, which uh, they were probably right at five foot eight. All right, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, what happened after uh, Wales? And obviously, you've managed to uh, see see yourself to the better side of the rugby world and gone to England. So, how come you're there? Uh, oh, uh, bad luck, misjudgment, uh, and indeed, uh, university. Um, so, uh, came towards right, the end. That's, that's the end of the podcast. Now you can't be saying that, <laughs> especially when uh, we're got, we're coming up to the Six Nations. So, uh, so tell me. Sorry, I was being terrible there. Of course, I love I love Wales because I live in. Wales and uh, it is a lovely it's sometimes wet place so you you went over to university there yeah, I went to Loughborough University um, when I was uh, when I was eighteen. Um, so was, uh, came to the that point in a player's life where I didn't get offered a contract at eighteen uh, with the Scarlets, um, which uh, which then meant the university route was that we wouldn't take. So yeah, I went to Loughborough, um, spent six wonderful years there um, before going into the teaching world. All right, and uh, are you still playing rugby? Uh, intermittently, um, my uh, unfortunately my my hips have struggled as well as my back. So, I've had two major hip operations in the last couple of years, and uh, my back suffered as well as most of the body parts. So, I, I still play kind of every now and then, but playing properly wise, 2015 was my was my last uh, relatively full season. Right, and so obviously you're now in uh, coaching, and um, so how long have you been coaching? And I think uh, you mentioned to me that you are doing your level four at the moment. Yeah, level four, going to finish uh, in, well, hopefully in four weeks' time, uh, if I can get my assignment done. Um, but I've been coaching since I was 17, um, just fortunate to pick up when I was at college. Uh, so, yeah, decent eight, 18 years of, of coaching. Um, and then took my first head coach job when I was 21. So, uh, good 14 years of being a head coach as well. All right, so who are you coaching at the moment? Uh, a range of teams, all, all the way through the school teams, and then uh, coach a rugby club uh, in, in Warwickshire. Um, at level five in the English leagues, uh, which which I get a lot of pleasure from. Um, so that, that's my that's kind of out out of work coaching, uh, and then all the way through the age groups from uh, eleven years old up to eighteen at school as well. All right, so for, that's quite a unique situation. Not many coaches have that chance to sort of be able to coach younger age groups and right through to men's age groups. So you've got a, quite a range of um, assignments 
on a weekly basis. Sometimes you're coaching uh, the very basics to people who don't know the basics and sometimes you're teaching the very basics to the people who should know the basics. So that, <laughs> that causes or creates some interesting uh, situations for you. So uh, the reason why I was very keen to get you on the podcast and I think more and more coaches are coming aware of your fantastic analysis YouTube videos which are being fly up there i thought it was by god analysis but it's actually gggdd so uh, uh, they are very good uh, i'm not sure if they're divine but they are very good so um you have created quite a following for your expert analysis um first of all tell us how you got uh, got to start with these clips and what software you're using um, I started. Uh, I've been doing them for, for a number of years. Um, kind of, I haven't published them on social media uh, or hadn't done until three months ago. Um, but I've been making them for a long time. Um, kind of with my previous coaching roles, it was a, it was a really handy tool to kind of share messages with players. And you, don't, you often got, don't get as much face-to-face -face time as you'd like with players. Um, so it was a useful tool to kind of uh, preempt a training session. Um, and then it got to a. There was a tweet um, in, just after the semi-final in the World Cup after England had demolished. New Zealand. Um, I think it was an Eddie Jones tweet that suggested that England wanted to be 80-90% uh, unstructured uh, in their play um, and I disagreed uh, that was the way that they played um, and there's a lot of comments and, uh, and there's hundreds and hundreds of comments of supporters below um, who suggested that England had played this wonderful unstructured game and they just played what was in front of them. Uh, I just pretty passionately disagreed, if I'm honest. Um, so I thought, uh, well, I'll go back through the clips, see if I can uh, see if I can make a little video um, and then share that and sit and see what see what people make of it. Um, and that one, that one got a decent bit of, uh, bit of feedback. <laughs> um, got uh, thirty-five thousand views within two days. Um, and then, uh, unfortunately, World Rugby decided that they were going to take it down. Um, but that, that that was the stimulus. Uh, so I thought, well, if I first promoted that much conversation, maybe uh, maybe I'll put another one. Yeah. So uh, just tell us about the software you're using to uh, produce these clips because they are they're very easy to watch and um, they are. They, and that makes them very popular. So that tells me that uh, not just um, expert coaches, but all coaches and players can get a lot out of them. So what, just give us a breakdown of the software you're using. Yeah, it's probably the most common question. There's not many days where I'm not asked that on Twitter, which is, which is lovely. Um, lots more questions are always welcome. Um, I think the... My, the one I use currently is uh, Final Cut Pro X, uh, which is a Apple product. Um, that's the kind of the final editing uh, product that I use. Um, I've, I've always used iMovie, uh, which is the, the simpler version of, of Final Cut. Um, and iMovie, I think, is great for loads of stuff, and I, and I still use it. But the, the videos that currently go up, uh, all of them are made with Final Cut. Um, and then coding in the first instance, which is often quite uh, quite a challenging task in itself. Um, I use Game Breaker, which is a sports code product. Um, or for my club, I use actually use Course Logic uh, online, um, and, you, and you can download the clips then from that. Um, so when I do mix videos between my club games and uh, prem, prem games, um, I'll use a mix of all, literally all three of them. Uh, I'll, I'll code with Course Logic with my club. Uh, I'll code the prem game with Game Breaker, and then both sets of clips then will find their way into into Final Cut. All right, so um, I think people get the idea as you uh, you might be watching a game on Sky and you think, oh, that's quite nice, and then you just press record, mm -hmm. and then after that you just put a few things on top of that, but it's more sophisticated <laughs> than that then. 
Uh, oh, if, if it only was that simple. Um, right. uh, yeah, well, that t- sounds a pity because that's my uh, chance gone. Go on. I mean, so much analysis can be done really simply. And I think uh, with with players that I coach, I mean, I often think the simpler the better. I mean, even screenshotting something's on the telly. I've, I've been able to film my own TV screen um, or my own laptop screen and just make a comment on a, on a WhatsApp comment. Um, and often that's, that's, that's a powerful enough. Um, so it, it doesn't have to be hugely sophisticated to be powerful. Um, and with my own players, like I say, I think the, probably the simpler the better when it comes to reviewing their performance. If I'm going to show them something from another another team, then I, I quite like that to be fairly well detailed. And I, I think it's important that that, that looks right. Um, it's, it's their own performance going to leave a bit more open. Yeah, so this leads me quite nicely to the next question. You obviously do this for your own benefit, uh, not just to spread out onto YouTube. Um, And obviously you've had some great comments coming back and it's been really interesting to watch. But because it's for yourself and for your team, what are the main things you learn from um, coding or putting these uh, premiership clips up that you then take into your coaching? Uh, oh, there's there's a mass. Um, I think that my the, the reason I started watching games in detail and breaking them down, which was about kind of 2012, 2013, was uh, just wanted a, a better understanding as to how, how the field is constructed uh, at, a, at the top level. Um, right. Yeah. So just how the field is constructed. Can you just um, uh, paint a picture of how that might be? Um, so a lot of coaching is uh, around catch, pass, uh, tackle, ruck, and when you watch the TV, that's what that's what you see essentially. Um, you see the the, the the micro part of the game, but it's really hard to get a full field uh, picture. So uh, if, you're, if you're not in that ruck with, and where you stood, how deep are you? Um, where's the support? The guys that then get up from the ruck, where do they go next? Um, and the kind of TV screens and the, and the TV angles that, that we get, they cut out all of that interesting stuff. Um, they kind of they follow, almost follow the ball, uh, and they, they don't really give you a full picture um, of what's happening off the ball. Um, and that's what I was, I was struggling with uh, kind of back then as I was working with some pretty talented players. Uh, I wanted to help them understand the level of the top game, which is where a lot of them have, have ended up. Um, so video was was really what uh, was what allowed me to develop my understanding um, as to what players could do off the ball what behaviours they could exhibit um, so I could then help them develop those behaviours um, so that's that's one area that I, I massive, massively benefit from um, and then the kind of the polar opposite the, the micro behaviours um, you know, uh, players work on the floor their the timing of a ball placement um, body position of a, of a tackle into contact depending on context um, a video just allows you to break that down in such fine detail um, uh, and things like, uh, you'll just never see with the naked eye. Yeah, so one of the things I remember specifically was uh, that you said that a player went into a tackle situation and um, he was facing forward, so that gave him an extra couple of metres and then he was able to win win that tackle uh, in the sense that his team could then um, find a better target to go over and win the ball back. So those are the sorts of detail which are important. So given that you coach across a wide range of teams and you're not working with professional players on a uh, day in day out Mm. is it possible to translate this professional game in elements into the lower levels that you're coaching 
I think so, uh, and I do so on a on a daily basis. Um, I think the the understanding uh, that I've developed from went from coaching itself, uh, and also from video analysis and kind of looking at a wide variety of teams. I, that, that's simplified kind of down down through the ages, all the way down to the youngest groups that I coach, which are um, on a on a Friday afternoon. I coach five and six year olds uh, in kind of movement skills, which is the where we start the kind of before they go into the main sports. Um, my under 11s I see kind of once a week we're still working on the the base themes that I see right at the top level um things like um footwork in contact uh, the importance of not running into bodies and running into space which are kind of concepts I suppose are caught across the game um but they're incredibly important when players become more able uh, and indeed at the top level. Um, it was sort of pretty good performance from London Iris last week. Um, you know, their number of passes that they made were, were pretty limited, but ball carriers run into space. Um, small spaces, albeit, but they're still running into space. Um, and those themes definitely transfer them down all the way through the age groups. So would you be with, say, an under-13s group? Would you say, oh, here's a clip, just have a look at, uh, say, London Irish, what they did the other week and how that then would translate is that uh, is that sort of thing you might be doing uh, I think there's an age cut off if I'm honest when it comes to the, the level of detail that I, that I would go into with video in particular um, personally I, I don't use any video with uh, with anybody below 15 um, right. I think I found through the years that kind of 15 years old is is about the age that they get to where uh, kind of emotionally and socially they're, they're able to cope with watching themselves watching themselves play um and, and get some get some decent detail from it um and then to understand i mean the, the full game is is pretty challenging to understand uh, at, the, at the top level um helping an under 13 understand that i, I think that's, that's it's tough um i definitely encourage them to watch lots of rugby um but i i, I don't do any explicit analysis with, with with that age group but yeah try and get them to watch as much as possible now that's interesting you say that because i think a lot of coaches will be spending uh, and when this podcast get, podcast goes out we'll be into the depths of the six nations they'll be watching the six nations it's uh, very accessible because it's on uh, terrestrial television and they'll be going uh, out on a Sunday morning and saying to their under 11s under 12s right we're going to do this this and this so my sense is that coaches have a problem just as much as players with this so um, when a coach is watching it mm-hmm. what sort of things should they be doing if they're working with under say under 11s under 12s what should they be looking for which then paints a picture in their own mind of what they should be then doing with their players um, I think the, some of the important behaviours around a, a ball carrier as an example. Um, I think we see a lot of really good practice uh, with square shoulders or ball carriers when they're tight in contact. Um, right, you'll have to explain square shoulders to me. Uh, so your shoulders uh, fit both facing forwards. Mm. Um, if you rotate your shoulders towards the touchline, it sells a movement to the to the opposition, mm. uh, which is fine if that's deceptive and, and it's you're trying to kind of fake a movement one way to, to then go the other. Um, but generally, kind of stay in front on to to an opposing player. Uh, gives them, a, they have to make a decision. They, they can't exactly tell where you go in. Ball being held in the centre of their body um, along with that. Um, if the ball is going to held towards the left-hand side of your body, then it suggests that you're going to pass towards the right-hand side. Um, so I, th- I think those those movement cues are, are relevant all the way through the age groups. Um, and my the under-9s group are, are probably less inclined to talk about too much of that detail with them. But kind of as of under-10s and 11s, they, they manage just fine with that, that kind of detail. 
And that really helps you. I mean, obviously, with your vast experience of being in coaching and playing as well, some of these things are natural to you. But for less experienced coaches, they can see that. And uh, what sort of pointers would you give to them for watching out? Because you'll be watching for a quite high level because you'll know the basics and you'll say, oh, that, uh, that reinforces that basic. But what sort of things would, if you said, right, you're going to watch a game, uh, you might even sit there and just replay a couple of bits and pieces what sort of things would they be looking for at the level that they are at, which maybe you would be now you've moved on from? Um, I, I start with the principles of play, and I, and I, st- I still do that. Um, I, I think it's relevant from the kind of six, seven-year-olds all the way through. So uh, in which instance within the game can you see go forward? Um, what's caused that go forward? And that's always the kind of knock-on process that I go through. Um, is As a team built momentum um, through go forward, uh, did they? Where did they get that? So was it was it around the ruck area? Um, how many passes are they making away from contact to enable them to find space to go forwards? Um, so definitely start with the principles and then start questioning slightly more deeply from it. Um, what what's led to the go forward? What led to the line break? Uh, maybe um, was it a missed tackle? Uh, did they have actually nothing to do with uh, good placement off the ball? Was it absolutely nothing to do with the pass that was made? But somebody's made a tackle that was was too weak, and somebody's run straight through it. Um, and then you can that starts to form your coaching. Then um, your your feedback uh, is about well, that person missed the tackle. But why did they miss the tackle? Was it a good action, uh, or was it an Im- imperfect action from them? Um, it's imperfect by the fact that they missed the tackle. But, <laughs> but what uh, what behaviours did you exhibit? Did they use footwork in the contact? Um, did they did they use some movement? Did they use a bit of deception around the head movements, or was it players off the ball? Um, did did the person on the right hand side call for the ball? That caused the tackler to uh, stunt for a moment, and that caused them to miss the tackle. I think that that type of detail is really useful when it comes to then forming your practices, um, and uh, you're you're going to coach them again on a, on a Tuesday after after the Sunday game, um, when you're you're thinking about well our tackling was really poor. Well, what was it about your tackling? Um, what was the what were the things that maybe uh, that they could be developed, and that, and that becomes your practice then. Now, you've shared on Twitter, uh, possibly on YouTube, some clips of your training. Uh, around the ruck area, I think it was a ruck or tra- tackle area, where you were then yeah. clipping it quite closely to stuff which was happening in the professional game. Yeah. So that you obviously use it to inform your practices. What are the challenges of trying to take something from a game and create a practice around it? Uh, I think it's one of the more challenging things in coaching, if I'm honest. I, I think it's actually one of the more enjoyable things as well. Um, I think... When you when you see something in a particularly in a top class game um, that you think well actually I could transfer that it's what attributes do your players have um, the players that have played within the the game that you've seen on the you know, the Premiership on a, on a Saturday afternoon um, do your players have those attributes if they don't then clearly that that thing isn't going to translate perfectly um, so, the so that's thing- quite that's quite an important starting point is that you see something in the game then you start by thinking do my players actually have these skills available to them there's these physical attributes because if they don't then i'm going to struggle to replicate that is that that's the starting point yeah absolutely yeah um and then it's uh, does does it fit the kind of team ethos or the style of play uh, that you you want to uh, have within your within your team um and then it's to 
adapt it in some way. Um, and then the fun bit of the, of the coaching bit is to work out, well, how do I now represent it? And I think representativeness, which is a, a pretty is a pretty jargon term in uh, probably most coaches. And so does, does the practice that you're doing, does it, uh, could you see that on a Saturday afternoon? Um, if you can't see it, then it kind of reduces in its representativeness. So could you give me an example uh, recently where you've been able to pull something from the television or from a footage and then translate it relatively successfully with a team? Yeah, um, so look at uh, look at Saints uh, as an example from the way that they defend. Um, there, uh, with last week, maybe take last week out of it, but prior to prior to last weekend, um, their their defensive system. Uh, there's a pretty good understanding amongst players who are in line with the ball. So a defender who's opposite where the where the ball carrier is, if they're close enough to the ball carrier to shoot, as I call it, uh, to uh, chase out to the line and make a tackle, then they do it. And, and I think they time that really well. Um, so I then uh, looked at that as, this, as something that actually my players would benefit from that type of thing. So uh, we, we then did a practice uh, which replicated lots of rucks around the field, um, had uh, attackers set in, they, they would set in whatever kind of formations they wanted as an attack. And then I was encouraging the defenders to catch the person with the ball. Um, so they were getting uh, points rewards for um, so the, there's two passes made uh, and then they caught that player and wrapped him up as so you could make a pass. But then there was points awarded then for, for that type of thing. So good defensive reads. Right. And uh, what age group was that with? That's with senior men's. Um, although I have done uh, a slightly more simplified version with my under 18s as well. Um, and indeed under 16s. Right. And so it is uh, the, the tactic is introduced via a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yep. you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't say t- to use a different term. You would drill it to start off with. You wouldn't sort of uh, you would just say right. We're going to play a game. This is my idea of uh, the tactic. This is how you're going to score points. Let's let's go. Yeah, the uh, yeah my I've got a massive games bias. Uh, I've it's kind of all I've known if I'm honest. Um, since started coaching as empty in uh, games coaching is literally all I've ever known. Um, and I think maybe over over time I've I've tempered that a little bit with uh, with looking at other other modes of, of coaching as well. Um, but my my go-to will always be always be game. Uh, I'll, I'll never change, but <laughs> I'm slightly more balanced uh, in my approach uh, these days than, than maybe I have been. Yeah, well, and there is video evidence of um, what might be termed a drill with uh, your your rucking technique. So I'm thinking about technique then. So I'm going to challenge you on this then. So if you introduce a new technique. How would you go about that? Given that you've got a games bias, and I'm sure plenty of people who are listening in are uh, of that bias as well, how would you introduce a new technique which might be um, a technical part around the ruck or the tackle area? Um, well, even even that session. Uh, so uh, I looked at the Bristol game, um, and we looked at the behaviours of around the ruck area. Uh, what was the ball carrier doing? What was the timing like of players coming onto the ball? So that that session that I then posted the breakdown um, videos of. That session started with game, um, and we we played a constraints game, uh, which gave points to the attacking team if they got go forwards in contact. Um, we give uh, points then for the defence if they could stop go forwards in contact, uh, and players perform those behaviours without too much talk, um, but without exception, um, ball carriers when they went into contact turned their shoulders in contact, which meant that they weren't going forwards anymore. Um, so we then broke it out of the game, uh, and we looked at 
Um, I'm a big believer in, in games practice, but I'm, uh, I'm equally a big believer in games-based practice uh, or game-like practice. So the I, I wouldn't call what we did a drill. Uh, I I would look at it as a as a game-related practice, mm. um, where we've taken a snippet of the game, we've then tried to recreate that with uh, a lot, so lots of the pressures stripped away, but the kind of the, some of the integral ones kept. Um, I think I, I definitely reflected after that session uh, and I reflected as to whether practicing a breakdown one-on-one uh, is ever relevant. Um, and and I think you mentioned that in a tweet at some stage, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, and a number of people sort of came in to sort of agree and disagree with that. So mm-hmm. uh, that was a brilliant reflection, really, because I think a lot of people then thought, well, maybe I, I need to change or do something different. So what, what do you think you've come out with as a reflection from that? I think my my conclusion from it is uh, I, I probably needed to be more explicit as to why they were one-on-one. Um, because with the players at the time, uh, I, we painted a picture of what that scenario was, and we painted a picture that we'd we'd actually stripped away the second supporter in contact for the for the attack, uh, and then he was I don't know he's two or three seconds behind play, so this two or three seconds is is that moment when you're on your own, which which is actually fairly relevant to the game. Um, what I didn't do on the video was make that clear enough, um, and and I, did, I should have shown other practices around it. Um, so uh, yeah, I've I've learned the. Uh, when you post something, uh, that is painted a picture of what you think. <laughs> so you've got, to, you've got to try and explain things with a bit more detail than maybe maybe I've been guilty of doing. Well, I think there's a, there's always a danger that, of course, a tweet or a little clip is seen um, in isolation. And I can remember um, a guy called Sean O'Connor, who's now working with Russia. He used to work with the Ospreys. Probably you probably you know him as well. He was fly off for the Ospreys and. Uh, very good coach, and he paint, uh, pitch, He posted a clip of some uh, grubber kick mm-hmm. training they were doing, and uh, lots of people piled in saying, oh, this is terrible, it's not representative. And he says, well, I'm just showing one part of what's mm-hmm. going on, and we did this beforehand, we've done this afterwards, and we'd identified that these players need to work on this skill. So there's always a danger that you don't know where it's coming from and where it's going to. Now, yeah. uh, one thing that would be interesting to pick up your view, you know, you know this question is coming, is um, that uh, sometimes you start out with a, an end in mind, with a, an objective, and mm-hmm. yet you can change change your objective uh, or end point during the training session. Mm-hmm. Um, now, on coaching courses... You obviously have to set out your learning objectives, um, mm-hmm. intentions, and in schools that sometimes happens. But I know quite a few coaches now who are saying, I'm not going to put this down. I'm just going to say, we're going to do this training. I'm going to offer up some themes, and then we're going to see how you take it. Now, that's obviously a viewpoint which I've subscribed to, so I've got some bias towards it. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that, given the way that you put together your training sessions? Um, I think I put a, a video out last week, uh, which sums up a quote that I like rather a lot, uh, which planning is essential, but the plan is worthless. Um, and I, and I, I do subscribe to that. Um, so I think that the planning process allows you to kind of consider what your session will look like, um, what what type of games you might include for the, kind of the purpose that you want. Um, 
but I'm also of the of the mindset that that session should be should be fluid. Um, and if you you know, you've timed the game, do twenty minutes, and twenty minutes isn't right, then the game isn't twenty minutes. Um, so loads of flexibility and adaptability within there um, within the session. Um, I think the initial plan and what game I'm going to do and what my constraints are going to be. I, I actually think that should be fairly intentional. Um, I think the movement from them, that's when the art of coaching then comes in, uh, which is, you know, the, the players aren't coping with that constraint or the game was just rubbish, uh, which happens on uh, on a few occasions. Um, so adapting to that on the fly, uh, that's that's one of the duties of, uh, of of coaching, to be able to do that. I think we have to be careful as maybe observers to not judge people on their plan, mm. uh, but in, as you say, judge them on the art of how they then use that plan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so I'm going to move on to a, um, a similar sort of question to one I've asked before. So video analysis games can be quite difficult to watch because you find yourself seeing the wrong cues. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, you you talked about maybe uh, 15-year-olds probably being about the right age to start to see the game properly. And my experience of showing younger uh, players and less experienced players who not watch video footage much, they they watch themselves and what do I look like and maybe I'll wear my socks up next game and uh, I think I'll get my mother to change my shorts, uh, all those sorts of things. Now, what the problem is that coaches often see the wrong cues uh, because they may be looking for brilliance. Uh, they're looking for the, the, the amazing pass, the, the thing, the real game changer, but that's not really what it's about. It's more about the, the basics, as you've said, the mechanics. So, what have you changed in your own approach to help you draw yourself to the crucial points? Uh, well, I'm, when I'm watching my my own team, uh, I'm I'm pretty focused on uh, on what our own aims have been through the week. So our goals we set pre-session, uh, pre-game rather. Um, where we're very, very focused on observing for those. Um, there's just so much that goes on in the game you can get distracted by. Um, so I'll, I'll have written down uh, what our goals were pre-match um, and my observations within the game will be relatively focused within them. There's always a principles of play focus. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about the speed that we can play the ball to space and uh, we, we'll, I'll then look at the ruck area to, look to think the ball's gotten to space very slowly. Well, what happened to the ruck? So my, my eye is it will be drawn there. Um, it'll be drawn to players from the previous breakdown or the previous set piece as to what they've done. Um, were, were, did their actions influence the, the speed that we got the ball to space? So that, that's that's one example. Um, I think having written down what your observation points are makes observation uh, significantly more effective than it would be otherwise. Um, so things like um, the scrum, so the script scrum success will be a uh, will be a marker that we'll um, we'll come back to post match. Um, so the forwards coach is, is looking at uh, scrum line out restart as as a set pieces. Um, our, uh, one of the other coaches then will look at the um, kind of cleanliness of, of our ball and he'll cast a pretty critical eye of uh, um, is, is the ball readily available when we want it available or is the ball being held up in some way and what's causing that um, my eye is always run off the ball so I, I spend most of my time not really focused on where the ball is at all if I'm honest um, so I, I look at things like um, what I would go forward in attack and defence is like um, and I look at the off the ball the behaviours that influence that um, so as an example hooker's thrown into the line out um, what, what's his next action the ball is kind of right down side of the pitch it's, it started on the left hand side where's that hooker 
three, four seconds later. Um, and, and that will influence our play in the second, third, fourth phase, um, and indeed as to whether we get to that point. Um, so having yeah, pretty, pretty clear focus points, I think, supports observation quite significantly. All right, I think that's a big key takeaway for any coach, really, is you can't watch the whole game. You have to watch certain points. Inevitably, there was some emotion t- tied up in that and uh, having that written down before, and so it takes you away a little bit from the emotion. You will be emotional during the game. There's no, yeah. there's no doubt about us. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in the game. Absolutely. Would we? And um, it's therefore important to... As an individual coach, what do you think is the critical number of points? Because you've mentioned quite a few there, but you, in your role, how many do you think is manageable for you? And probably then for a less experienced coach, you probably maybe cut that in half. Yeah, I think uh, if I'm going to get real detail out of out of my observations uh, and be able to be effective at half time, uh, then kind of two or three focus areas per individual, I think, is is ample. Um, the you know, the one I've mentioned about uh, playing the ball in space. I mean, that's that's a fairly big observation point, um, and it, that'll I'll take in a lot of information to be able to give any kind of clarity uh, on that as a feedback point. Um, so I wouldn't want too much more to look at, to be honest. Um, so I'm when the ball's the other way around, um, I'm, I'm looking at our our defensive work off the ball, um, looking at uh, our willingness to get back on side and then chase off the line again. Um, you know that that takes up a lot of attention. So yeah, two two or three points per coach is, is more than enough. Right. Okay. Now, uh, one of the th- uh, another question I want to ask, which is one I know you've uh, been talking about a bit on Twitter. I I know that there was a well, there was a um, an introduction to a paper which was saying that there are some dangers of players being given stats and then them being disappointed or they've not being put across in the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I don't want to get bogged down in talking about that part, but I'm, want to, I'm interested in stats themselves because obviously you'll be gathering stats in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we're watching the Six Nations in particular, there'll be stats flying up on the screen in terms of possession counts and tackle counts. And mm-hmm. then individually players will be getting metres gained um, can we use those as targets for the players or is it um, is there another way of using the stats more effectively? Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting. There's a lot of discussion around um, what, what a good stat is uh, and there's a few people working quite hard to develop data that they, they believe is representative of what a good performance is. Um, if I'm honest, I don't think they're ever going to find that uh, that's that. Um, I, I, I think it's the wrong way around. Um, it, it starts with observation. Um, I think things like meters made. I mean, that, that's, that's a useful statistic if you're looking at the effectiveness of people's go forwards and uh, and a player's ability to run into space. And if that's what you're looking at, then probably meters made is is a fairly relevant statistic. But it so I go back to meters made. Um, you're much better off being a fullback than a prop, then, because most props Absolutely. will be taking the ball close to the game line. So if they can make um, a few metres beyond the game line, that might be the crucial two metres which scores a try, whereas a full-back takes a kick and he's run uh, 20 metres for nothing. Absolutely. So how how effective is that as as an example? I mean, on its own, the numbers, I, I... I just don't see what they. I don't see what they mean. Uh, it comes up on the TV, and, and you're impressed with where Stuart Hogg is running the game, and it's, it's 
good numbers, impressive numbers, but it's, it's not more valuable than the six metres that your loose head made um, that scored you two tries. Um, I think the, the, the stat has got to be contextualised. Uh, and I think that's maybe where um, some of the the big data stats the, the flash up on our screens. I think that's that's what they lose. Um, tackles made, tackles missed. I mean, somebody's made eighteen tackles doesn't mean to say they've had a good game. Uh, what else? Did, what else did they do? What's the context of those tackles? Did they make eighteen tackles because the opposition attacked really tight all game long, um, and he was just very quick to get up on his feet? Um, did they just happen to come to his part of the field? And so context is is just so important. Um, so statistics, I'm I'm, uh, I'm a big believer that they are uh, that they're important, but only to add some kind of colour to your to your uh, your observations. Yeah. Now that really brings me around to the idea about targets. I'm not I'm not um, again. This is my bias, so you're going to have to react to this bias. Uh, I don't like targets for players in games. Like you've got to make five tackles, or you've got to do three of this, or five of these, or that sort of thing. Uh, because they they create strange sort of motivations. So I've got to four, and I've got to find the fifth from somewhere, and therefore <laughs> you do something which uh, is out of context with what's going to do. So I've made the fifth one. We lost the game, but I did manage to get my fifth offload in, uh, albeit in our own 22, when in fact what we sh- I should have done is kicked it, <laughs> something like that. So um, given that... Um, targets are often used is there a, is there a better way of motivating a player maybe to use um, a certain skill in the right context targets are uh, as you say very very challenging um and there's there's all perfect answer i mean there's a there's a good 56 years of decent research as to goal on goal setting uh, and its influence on on human behavior mm. um i think uh I think given players' numbers, uh, I think is is dangerous. If I'm honest, um, I think we we work with players, and there's definitely going to be a little bit of their perception and what's important to them at any particular time. Um, I mean, my, number eight in my club, he likes he likes targets, and he, and he wants he wants a numerical target. Um, I mean, that that works for him in terms of motivating him. Um, He's not a head up as to whether you know he aimed for five uh, big carries and he's, he's had four and he's had a pretty good game. He doesn't get head up by it, but uh, it motivates him to to want to get to that number. And, and I think if it's having that motivational effect on a player, it's pretty positive. Um, the key bit there is it's come from the player itself. Um, I think coaches imposing targets upon players that then lead to decisions that they wouldn't make otherwise. That's and some you don't want, like the offload example. Um, you know, you're saying to your players, right, we're going to get a hundred offloads in the next in the next two games, and then you get players just chucking the ball around. Um, it's 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 a difficult balance. Uh, it may be the case that you actually want to stimulate them to give lots of offloads uh, to enable them to analyze the effectiveness of offloads uh, and then you might refine it a bit um so you know, there's lots of ways of using them yeah so let's uh, let's take that into training circumstance then um you'll use you could use targets within games in a small-sided game perhaps to change your behavior and see what happens would that be an effective way of using them yeah i think uh, i mean if you're going to guide and, and change behavior um kind of indiv- individual based constraints i think are i think are pretty powerful um so if if you want want a player to realize how effective they can be in contact uh, as, as a tackler you might might get them or set me a send me a tackling target what what how many tackles are you going to make in the next uh, next 10 minutes of play and they say well i'm going to make five tackles cool like go and give it a go if they make some some more tackles because of that goal that you can then reflect on 
that, that might be a really powerful use of uh, of that kind of that kind of goal. Um, again, the is, the player is a part of that process rather than say, right, I want you to go out and I want you to make ten tackles, and then we're going to review that after. And that's maybe more problematic. Yeah. So going back to that then. So of that, um, I think there's been some research on. Uh, in drills, which we've, we've been talking about, and mm-hmm. I, I'm, I know that um, this is not a discussion about what it, whether a drills are drills, an activity or a game or anything like that. But sometimes they've said that uh, if you do a repetition without repetition, it's better than doing reps of anything. So they might go out and do five tackles. The first mm-hmm. tackle might be a fantastic one, but they're tired. Mm-hmm. So the next four tackles are pretty rubbish, but they still count as a tackle. Mm-hmm. So then you you have to say, how can I create better quality from the second, third, fourth, and fifth? Mm-hmm. So how would you create that motivation to say, right, the, the number is there. I've done five. So thank mm-hmm. you very much. I get my, uh, my boiled sweet. Thank you, sir. What, yeah. what can you do to improve the quality for them? Yeah, I said we're thinking about principles of play, um, and the kind of the, were they uh, were they well supported within the defensive shape that uh, would have influenced their ability to make a good tackle? Uh, did they chase out the line and ended on up on their own? Is that why they made a passive tackle because the attacker was able to step a lone defender? Um, so keeping keeping a principles of play focus, um, talk to them about are you stopping the opposition from going forwards. Uh, within the tackle, I mean, I think that's a that's a useful additional arm to the, the target of making five tackles. Uh, can you make five tackles and stop the opposition going forwards? Well, there's maybe a bit more bit more depth to that kind of target um, that allows for maybe a bit more reflection and discussion. So I understand now. Now we're talking. We're getting to discussion. So the target is not really a target that you tick off. It's a target that then becomes a point of discussion. So you can say, well, you got to four, four out of five. That was good, but mm-hmm. Two of the tackles were absolutely outstanding. They were the right ones at the right time. They they met what we want to do in terms of principles of play. They achieved uh, the sort of opportunity for turnover. So you can create some layers of information. Uh, you can build some depth of understanding uh, that the players then have a better better knowledge of where they fit and where they fit into the game. So mm-hmm. that would that would make it uh, more interesting for them as well as just uh, ticking off a number. Now, Geralt, I've got. There's lots more we can talk about in terms of analysis, and I'm sure we, I, if if you're up for it, we can uh, join together once you've uh, analysed a whole load of Six Nations games. So, just my sort of my last question is: um, Now you are coaching with video analysis, mm-hmm. um, and someone said to you, "We're not going to use video analysis." What would you change about the way that you coach? Oh, if, if I didn't have any video, yeah, uh, I think it would it would force uh, my observation to be even sharper. Right. Um, I think um, when I when I watch games, I'm it's definitely the back of my mind that I, I can go back and watch that. How I can go back and, uh, and maybe in the moment, maybe I don't analyze as closely as I should in the moment. Um, I think. Uh, but that must allow you to see other things as well. So you can say, well, that's fine because I'll pick that up, but I can now concentrate on that. So the reason why I asked this question is that um, some coaches will be saying, great, well, I'll watch the Prem games. I'll use, uh, use your analysis for that. But when I'm actually with my own teams, um, someone might uh, video a little clip here and there, but I'm not going to have that video analysis. So how am I going to be able to watch games? Because obviously a lot of what you're saying comes out of, 
not just watching them, but then using the observations astutely mm -hmm. uh, in training. So uh, this is where I'm trying to get to with this question. Uh, yeah, I think within within practice, uh, it's kind of get away from play. Um, I mean, uh, coaches who referee all their games, I actually don't think see very much. Mm. Um, so just get yourself out of the play, allow yourself to see what see what's going on, um, and you can have more conversations, of course, with players off the ball. Uh, if you're if you're not too engrossed in running an activity as such, kind of mm. hand that over to a core coach uh, or indeed one of the players um, to uh, or explain to the players that you're not going to referee it, that they're going to referee the game. Uh, you're going to coach the game. Uh, oh, right. Like to kind of stand back and, uh, and observe from from a diff from different angles. You know, keep on moving around. Um, as well as keeping in mind what your what your focus is, what what, what was the game designed for? Is it achieving what it, it was designed for, and what behaviours are getting you there? Yeah. And so, where are we where are you standing when you're doing this now? Uh, not, and I know you're not standing. I know you're moving around. So, <laughs> where 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 are you moving to and from? Uh, every angle. Uh, I mean, getting uh, getting in behind the play. Of course, you see people's running lines, and you see uh, see their their willingness to work backwards. Um, when you're from the side, you can see that you can see their depth. Uh, you get a little bit more of a perception as to what people are doing in the ruck area when you're when they're from the side. I think rucks always uh, referee. A lot of referees stand behind behind rucks, uh, and they can. I just think you, you get a bit more detail when you're when you're on the side of a of a ruck area. Um, so just yeah, keep keep on moving different angles depending on what it is that you want to look at. Um, Yes, and, and the key is to keep moving. You often see coaches watching arms folded from one position and uh, they don't get the full flavour flavor of the game. Gareth, yes. this has been brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. I mean, one can't move away from uh, a stat without thinking of the great uh, Ray Gravel, who, late, great, 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 late Ray Gravel, who obviously thought about his tackle counts. And I think if I quote him correctly, uh, he said, always get your first tackle in early even if it's late so uh, <laughs> he obviously got his tackle stats up very early on um, Absolutely. thank you very much uh, for sharing that with us um, obviously your YouTube channel is the place to go where do I go to find it uh, yeah uh, GDD coaching um, for my YouTube channel and then Davis GDD is my uh, is my Twitter handle um, and you can kind of link one from the one from the other um, but the videos tend to go fresh on Twitter uh, and then they'll, they'll go up onto YouTube then a little bit later on and you I know you're very keen for people to comment underneath and ask questions because I know that uh, helps you think and challenge you so just to say, and I'm, I'm sure you're still happy for people to comment. Uh, I, I know that sometimes people uh, will uh, take a contrary view, but I think uh, um, the majority of people have found it extremely useful. So, well, we've been very lucky that you've been sharing that with us and um, um, looking forward to seeing some more uh, in the very near future. So, Gareth, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Good, and um, good luck with uh, the rest of the video analysis and uh, your coaching across all the age groups. And, uh, well, hope to catch up with you again in, uh, in a couple of months' time, maybe. So thank you very much uh, for listening, everybody. This is a Rugby Coach Weekly podcast. If you want to find out more, go to the rugbycoachweekly.net website and click on the podcast button. And thank you, and good evening. Good evening.
Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. If you want to hear more podcasts, head over to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed. We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning. 